Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We're continuing our series on Taming the Untamable. Proverbs says, Death and life are in the power of of the tongue. The truth that we have been seeing throughout this series is though your tongue is small, its power is much greater than you realize. We have seen already the tongue's power to determine our spiritual maturity. James says if one stumbles in many ways but bridles his tongue, he is spiritually mature, isn't he? We saw the tongue's power to determine our life's direction. We saw last week the power of the tongue to defile our entire body. We saw the power of the tongue to destroy families and people's reputations and churches and friendships. Today we're going to change directions a little bit. And rather than seeing the tongue's power to do bad, we're going to see the tongue's power to build up. The tongue's power to do good. But just as death is in the power of the tongue, so is life in the power of the tongue. And look over in Ephesians chapter five, chapter four, and we see this truth coming out in Paul's admonition to Christians of all ages. In Ephesians chapter four, we'll be reading simply verse twenty-nine, and this is where our thoughts will be centered. In respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand as I read verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You may be seated. Here in this one admonition, Paul deals with both the negative and the positive uses of the tongue. First, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Now, that word unwholesome can be translated foul, unfit for use, worn out, rotten, worthless, bad, or putrid. Jesus used it to describe fruit from a bad tree that was bad itself, unfit for use, worthless. I remember when I served the church before I came to Westside, I lived in the pastorium next to the church, and I remember when we moved in, there was a huge pecan tree in the front yard. And I got excited because pecans are my favorite nut. And so I couldn't wait. Until the fall came, and I was going to gather me some pecans. Well, the fall came, there were no pecans. I looked, I waited, still no pecans. We were there nine years, and this that tree hasn't produced one pecan yet. Now, I don't know why, but it was worthless when it came to producing pecans. only thing it was good for was providing a little shade. That was the word Jesus used when he said a bad tree produces bad fruit. 
Also, it was a word Jesus used when he talked about the kingdom of God being like a dragnet. And you bring in all kinds of fish and you separate the good from the putrid fish, from the stinky fish, from the foul fish. And so what I think Paul is saying is, is when unwholesome words come out of our mouth, they're like stinky fish. The words used to speak of foul or putrid fruit or meat. If you've ever smelt putrid meat, you don't forget that smell, do you? I remember when we went to seminary, this service came in that was offering to deliver your groceries to your home. And you would dial in. That was high tech back 30 years ago. You'd dial in and you would pick the produce and the canned goods and the meats that you wanted. And then you'd set up a time for them to deliver the food. You had about a two-hour window. Well, I, they went out of business after about a month or two, and I know why, because they used a different driver every week. And if you've ever tried to find an address in an apartment complex, you know how hard it can be. And, and we live right in the corner, in the back corner of an apartment complex. And they were always an hour, an hour and a half late delivering the food. Well, I remember this one time they delivered an hour and a half late, and of course we put the food on in and, one, and some chicken. Uh, thing, a whole chicken was part of their delivery. So, you know, we just stuck it on in the uh, refrigerator. Uh, we got ready to cook it the next day and opened it up. You didn't have to convince anybody that, that meat had gone bad. It was putrid. You ever smelt rotten chicken? There's nothing like it, is it? Well, Jesus used that word to describe those stinky fish. Paul says those unwholesome words that come out of your mouth are nothing but stinky, putrid, and foul. Words that corrupt, the words that tear down, words that offend, foul language. It's nothing but stinky, putrid fish. Don't let those words come out of your mouth. But then Paul goes on to say, let those words that build up, let those words that edify come out of your mouth. Now this word edification is an interesting word in the Greek. It's made up of two words put together to make one. We do that in English sometimes, don't we? And the first word is house. House. The second word is to build. So it literally means to build a house. And so to build up is the word. It's translated edify. That which builds up. That which strengthens. That which solidifies. He says, let those words come out of your mouth that strengthen, that build up, that bring unity. Not those words that corrupt and tear down and are putrid. He's saying that our words have the power to build up our family. To build up this church. To build up your character. To build up your children's character. Use those words. He says. Now he gives two guidelines for these words that build up. First, he says they must meet a specific need of the moment. He says, only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment. A timely word. A word that is spoken to meet a specific need. It's a word that can be used to build up. 
designed to speak to a word, a person who's going through a problem or going through a difficulty. Proverbs 15.23 says, A man has joy in an apt answer and has delightful, and how delightful is a timely word. I think there are two aspects to speaking the word to a particular need at the right moment. First is you need to have the word when the moment's right. That's that apt answer. This happened to me this week when I was at the hospital. I was on the elevator. And the door opened and this uh, doctor got on. And he, he was probably in his least mid-60s. He was older than I was. Uh, and he looked up at me and he saw I had on my west side shirt and he saw my logo and he kind of looked up and he said, there's another guy on the elevator, a maintenance guy, and, and then the doctor looked up and said, uh, anybody on here know the key to life? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, what is it? I said, Jesus, living to God's glory. He said, no, key to life is keep breathing. And he walked out. So I was coming back to the elevator, I saw, I was thinking about that conversation and I said, you know, if I had just thought to say, when he said, the key to life is to keep breathing, I should have said, no, the key to existence is keep breathing. The key to life is living to God's glory. Right? But I didn't have that word at the right time. Has that ever happened to you? you got to have that right word at the right time. You know, pray, Lord, give me the right word, give me the right time. Make me sensitive to your spirit. But then there's another aspect to it. That is, you got the right word, but it needs to be the right time. Alright? Proverbs talks about that too in Proverbs 25.11. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. The longer I live, the more I am convinced that timing in life is of utmost importance. The right words spoken at the wrong time will not accomplish what you want to accomplish. All of us who are married know that all too well. Right? When your husband comes in from work, he's tired, he's hungry, he's worn out. That's not the time to say, we got a problem. That's the last thing he wants to hear, isn't it? Wait till he's had his supper and he's fed and he's full and he's relaxed. And then you might want to bring up, hey, you know, we got something we need to deal with. Man, how many times have you, at the wrong time, spoke to your wife and it did not end up the way you wanted it to at all? Timing is so important. A word spoken in the right circumstances. So it needs to be spoken to meet a specific need. And it needs to be at the right time. The second guideline is it needs to lead to spiritual growth. Look at what he says. He says, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now you remember what grace is? It's not only God's riches at Christ's expense. But grace is also God's enabling power. You remember when Paul asked God to deliver him from that thorn in his flesh, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient. Now, he wasn't talking about 
God's riches at Christ's expense being sufficient. He was talking about God's enabling power for Paul to live in that situation in a way that would bring glory to God. That's what he was talking about. And so he said, in your weakness, my power is perfected. So when it says that it might give grace to those who hear, what he's talking about is your words will promote spiritual growth in the person who's listening to it. If you want to have an abundance of friends, let your words be filled with grace. Proverbs 22.11 says, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. And the idea is, buddy, if you can be friends with the king, you can be friends with everybody. Right? If the king chooses you to be his friend, Everybody else will too. So you want to have friends? Let your speech be filled with grace. Let it help people to grow spiritually. Therefore, God says our words should be those that unify, words that strengthen, words that bring harmony, words that build up because they're words spoken to a specific need in the right time and words that bring about spiritual growth. In the hero. This is a great standard we can use to measure our words, can't we? Ask yourself, are these words building people up? Are they strengthening people? Are they bringing unity? Are they bringing solidarity? Are these words spoken to a particular moment to meet a particular need at the right time? Are these words promoting spiritual growth and maturity? Those are the kind of words that we need to be speaking. Those are the kind of words that build up. I want to give you five examples of words that build up. Words that we need to be speaking much more than we probably do. First, words of encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. Now, when I think of encouragement, words of encouragement, you know how I think about Barnabas. Barnabas in the Bible was called the son of encouragement. He was an encourager. He spoke words that built up. You remember when Paul got saved on that Damascus road? Paul was a persecutor of the church. So when Paul got saved, he wanted to go back and tell the church leaders about his salvation. Now, he'd wanted to kill him a week before, but now he wants to go and tell him he's saved. Well, now, they're not a bunch of idiots, and so they don't want anything to do with him. They say, this is some kind of trap. We do not want to see him. Well, it was Barnabas who went to Paul and said, Paul, come with me. They know me. They trust me. I'll introduce you to them, and they'll know you're okay. And so he went. It was Barnabas that wanted to keep John Mark on the missionary team when Paul said, I don't want him. He deserted us before. I've given up on him. I've written him off. I don't want him to go. Barnabas said, no, no. He needs to go. I want him to go. So Paul and Barnabas split ways. And John Mark went with Barnabas. It was Barnabas that the early church sent to Antioch to encourage the Christians there Because, again, God was beginning to move among the Gentiles and they needed to be encouraged 
to understand that God was at work. And so the church sent Barnabas, that encourager, to go and speak to them. You know one of the best ways to encourage people? It's through the Word of God. Through God's Word. Because what does Romans 15.5 say? It says that, But whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and, look at that, encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Somebody's going through a particularly difficult time. They are pressed down. You come alongside them and say, you know, I want, I want you to know, God's Word says He is near to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit. And I can tell you are crushed. But I want you to know God is near to you right now. Or someone who is having a particular need, God says He's our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. He's not way off. He's right here with you right now. Let Him strengthen you. Let Him encourage you. Words of God, Scriptures can be used to build people up, to encourage them as nothing else. In fact, Proverbs 10 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. You've been thirsty. Man, so thirsty you couldn't stand it. You finally found that water fountain and pushed it, and that cold, cool water came coming up, and you just started drinking. Even out of a hose. You know, they say you're not supposed to drink out of a hose, but I like the way it tastes. I do. I guess it goes back to when Mama said, You can't come in until lunchtime. If you're thirsty, drink out of the hose. That fountain of life. That's what words of encouragement are. To a thirsty soul. Now I've got a place for you to make a note there. Are you speaking words of encouragement often or seldom? Often or seldom? Check which fits you. Next, words of wisdom. Proverbs 10.31 says, The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. Well, what's wisdom? Wisdom is thinking like God thinks. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective, not from the human perspective. In our day, when personal opinions abound, we need people speaking God's mind on matters. You see, it's not my opinion that counts. It's not your opinion that counts. It's what does God say about the situation. What's God's perspective? How does God view this situation that we find ourselves in? And words of wisdom enable us to see the event from God's perspective. Have you ever been in a meeting? And maybe it was a church meeting, and you were discussing a subject, and everybody was throwing in ideas, this, that, and the other, and you just kind of lost perspective, and then somebody spoke a word of God's wisdom, and you just knew. That's the answer right there. That's it. We know this is from God. The early church was having a big discussion, big debate, in fact, on whether the Gentiles, when they got saved, did they need to follow all the Old Testament laws and regulations? And it was just a big, big debate in Jerusalem. It's called the Jerusalem Council. It's found in Acts 15. And they were all giving their this and that and all that. Paul was there. Peter was there. James was there. And then James stood up. And he said, 
I think what we need to do is only require that they abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from food that's been strangled, from drinking blood, and from fornication. That's it. And the Bible says that all who were there heard those words and realized that that was what the Holy Spirit desired. He spoke a word of wisdom. Jesus came to a generation that had lost perspective on the Sabbath. They said you could not heal somebody on the Sabbath. That was violating the Sabbath. Yet if their donkey fell into a hole, it was okay to drag that donkey out of the hole. But don't heal somebody who's sick. Jesus came to that generation that had lost perspective and gave them God's wisdom. He said the Sabbath is not The Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. You need to understand the true purpose of the Sabbath. Are you speaking words of wisdom? Seldom or often? Next, words of knowledge. Proverbs 15, 7 says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge. Words of knowledge are words that teach truth. They take knowledge about God and about God's creation. How edifying it is to have someone share truth from you that they've seen in God's Word. They say, preacher, let me show you what, what God showed me in His Word. And, and they open up the Bible and they'll say, I was reading this the other day. And, and they'll read it and they say, man, God spoke to me. Now that builds me up when that happens. Doesn't that build you up when somebody shares with you a truth that they've seen in God's Word? That's a word of knowledge. In this sense of the word. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. So if you want to speak words of knowledge, you need to go to God's word. That's where the truth is found. That's where true knowledge is found. Just as where true wisdom is found. Aquila and Priscilla ran into a guy named Apollos. Now, Apollos was an eloquent speaker, and he was going around speaking about the things of of Jesus, but he did not understand. He didn't have all the information. He didn't understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about uh, Pentecost and those matters. And so Aquila and Priscilla took him aside, and they explained to him about the events of the Crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Christ and the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. They spoke to him words of knowledge. And the Bible says that he left and he went from there and he powerfully refuted the Jews and proved from the Word of God that Jesus was the Messiah. Those words of knowledge built him up so that he might proclaim more accurately The truth of God's Word. Are you speaking words of knowledge? Seldom or often. And then there are pleasant words. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words, delightful words, uplifting words, praise, uh, Compliments, gratitude, words of appreciation, humorous words. Now, these are the ones I like the best. 
I like a good, clean joke as well as the next guy. Maybe better than most. But notice what it says. It says, healing to the bones. Proverbs 17.22 says, a joyful heart is a good medicine. You know, modern medical science has affirmed this truth from Scripture. Let me share with you what medical science says about laughter and the benefits of laughter to your health. Laughter relaxes your whole body. A good hearty laugh relieves physical tension and stress, leaving your muscles relaxed for up to 45 minutes later. Laughter boosts the immune system. Laughter decreases stress hormones and increases immune cells and infectious fighting antibodies, thus improving your resistance to disease. You get sick a lot, maybe you need to laugh more. Laughter triggers the release of endorphins, the body's natural feel-good chemicals. Endorphins promote an overall sense of well-being and even temporary relieve, temporarily relieve pain. And laughter protects the heart. Laughter improves the function of blood vessels and increases blood flow, which can help protect against a heart attack and other cardiovascular problems. God knew this. He said, joyful heart is like good medicine. Healing to the bones. You know, they actually make you feel better. You've been in a situation where you've been kind of down, and somebody comes in, and, and all of a sudden they make you laugh, and you just start feeling better. It just lifts your whole spirits. Right? Pleasant words build up. And then carefully chosen words is the last one we'll look at. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. Our words are to be thought over, not just blurted out. We aren't to say the first thing that comes into our mind. And we all know people that seem to do that. Because I can't believe they're really thinking if they said that. So you must have just come right out. Uh, you need to ponder and think about what you're going to say. I learned this lesson the hard way when I was in seminary. Uh, as part of my one of my courses, I was training to be a chaplain. Uh, in one of the part of the classes, I had to take a rotation at the emergency room at uh, the Louisville School of Medicine hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. And part of the job of a chaplain in an emergency room situation in a large hospital is that we notify the family when somebody comes in. Doctors and nurses are busy tending to the medical needs, and so it's our job to notify the family and meet the family when they get there and kind of help look after them. Well, it was a full moon Saturday night. (laughs) We had this guy... He probably was in his early 20s. And he was standing on the street corner in Louisville, and he was looking down the street corner, and this truck came by. And the rearview mirror of the truck, the side view mirror of the truck, kind of grazed his ear. I don't think it really hurt him bad at all, but enough so that he came to the emergency room. 
Well, it was my job to notify his mother that he was there. And so I kind of thought a little bit through it and said, okay, uh, this is Chaplain so-and-so from, uh, Chaplain Stewart from uh, Louisville Hospital. Is this so-and-so? Do you have a son named so-and-so? That's about as far as I got. So I got into the conversation, and I told her who I was, and I said, uh, is this so-and-so? And she said, yes. Do you have a son named so-and-so? She said, yes. I said, well, I just want to call and tell you he's been hit in the head by a truck. <laughs> and then as soon as I said it, I realized what it sounded like. And I said, no, 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 he's okay. He's okay. I can just imagine her picture of her son's head rolling down the road. I mean, hitting the head by a truck. So I learned uh, you need to think through all the way what you're going to say in crucial situations. We ponder on choosing just the appropriate words to accomplish our goal. Again, Proverbs 16 says, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. We can say the right thing in the wrong way, and it doesn't accomplish what we want it to, does it? But if you will take time to think about what's the best way to say this to this particular person. Because the way you may say something to me and it accomplish what you want it to is not the way you'd say it to my wife, right? Guys can say things differently to guys. So know the person. And then ask for wisdom from the Lord to know how to say it in a way that will have its maximum impact. You remember when David committed that heinous sin of committing adultery with Bathsheba and killing her husband? Well, Nathan, the prophet, was given the job to confront the king about that. But when he comes to the king, he doesn't just come out and blatantly blatantly say, man, you have sinned, you have lied, you have murdered, you have committed adultery, does it? No. He adds wisdom to his words to make them persuasive. And he comes in and he says, David, let me tell you about this situation. It's this guy in your kingdom who has one lamb, that's all, he's poor. But he has taken that lamb into his family and they have loved it like a pet. It stays in their home with them. It, it, it sleeps with them. It's their joy. Now, this rich guy who has hundreds of lambs has a visitor come and stay with him. But rather than take one of his hundreds of lambs, he goes and takes this lamb out of this family's house and kills it and feeds it to his guest. Well, David naturally got very irate very upset about that injustice. And about the time he's going on about what he's going to do to this rich guy, Nathan looks at him and says, David, you are that man. God had given you all the wives of King Saul. But you go and take this one wife, the only wife this man has, from him and murder him. And because he added wisdom to those words, it struck David deep in his heart. It reached to the very core of his being. And he repented. And he confessed. He saw his sin for what it was. 
Carefully chosen words. How often do you speak those? Seldom or often? Let me conclude with 12 words that we all need to speak much more than we do. Okay? Here they are. Please. Thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm praying for you. Twelve words. We'll say those more often. Our lives will be better. And the lives of those around us will be better. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Will you use your tongue to bring life, to build up? Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, And to my left is Mark Baker who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications on ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.